0: Welcome to the Crying in My Cheesecake podcast. I am Danielle, your host here, and I have something a little different for you, and I hope you will be along for the ride because this is something that what's coming in the next few weeks is very vulnerable, um, and i am not really shared this story with many. It is um, based on a book proposal I took to Michigan to a conference and um, it was denied because it was too niched of a subject. So what better place to do it than now? And especially in the month of October, the month of October is uh, about, you know, cancers. And we think about cancers and we think about breast cancer and prostate cancer, but what we don't, or I guess there's a silent population and that silent population are the moms that have lost pregnancies, lost babies all too soon. And so this is my story. To all my children, may you see me live what I believe and yearn for the life Jesus has planned for you too. Baby number one, I'm so happy you were in my womb, even if it was just for a short time. You taught me to keep seeking God without ceasing. I rejoice knowing you're with Jesus and have never had to cry or feel the pain of this world. Dietrich, may you become the man Jesus has created you to be. Your pregnancy taught me unwavering trust in Jesus. May your relationship with Christ be unwavering and filled with trust and leadership. Dalen, may you become the woman Jesus has created you to be. Your pregnancy taught me what it means to be a woman. The important role of influence that we women have in this world Daily, you're making me better because I know you're watching. I had you for nine weeks and four days. Your pregnancy taught me that God's promises are true no matter my circumstances. I have hope because of the experience with you. I know this world is not about me, but about God's kingdom. I promise to bring as many people with me as I can when I'm able to hold your precious face in my hands for the first time. Dell, may you become the man Jesus has created you to be. Your pregnancy has taught me that love is worth the fight. And that strong love can be painful. It can be hard. But it is so worth it. May your relationship with Christ be solid and firm and unwavering. My very first memory of trying to get pregnant isn't filled with the excitement and nostalgia. It's full of scary and sad thoughts that just bring about a rush of emotion that's still too ever-present. It was 2007 when my husband and I decided that we would like to try to start a family We'd been married for almost three years at this point, and I'd graduated college, started my teaching career, and we were settling into our ways and wanted a child. We first went about the adoption route to start our family. And somehow, after all those classes and all of that time, our papers were lost, and by spring, we decided to start trying things naturally. I went to the doctor to just ensure that I was healthy enough to have a baby. Things checked out, and we began the journey. We got pregnant within just three months of trying in 2008. And my husband told me to try to test, you know, try one of those P tests just to see if I was pregnant. Sure enough, the stick came back positive. It was so exciting. I called my family doctor and got a blood test right away to confirm and even more exciting. Like that was even more exciting and surreal. I mean, I didn't feel any different yet. We told our parents and we told everyone and they were elated for us. We received the most amazing outreach from people we hadn't heard from in a long time because they were genuinely happy for us. What we didn't know was what lie ahead for us. On Monday morning I woke up to get ready for work and found I was spotting. It wasn't a lot. My husband was still asleep and I believe even his uncle had stayed the night at our house as he was in town for the weekend and headed to work that next morning as well. I immediately called work and called in sick asking for a sub and I didn't care that there weren't any sub plans which by the way is so very unlike me I'm a huge control freak I was a huge control freak in my classroom imagine that so I called the OB I was supposed to see and got an appointment for the next day the anguish I should have known this was a sign because what OB doesn't get a a bleeding pregnant woman in right away So I stayed at home crying all day, trying to figure out why I was bleeding. What did I do to cause me to bleed? I thought, well, maybe I'm just one of those women that will get her period each month throughout her pregnancy. And my mom even confirmed to me that one of her friends did that with her her last child as well. I had no friends to turn to at this point. I had no friends. I had no one but my husband to talk about with this bleeding. I went to bed with this sense that because I didn't bleed much, didn't even feel a panty liner, that this was just implantation bleeding. Tuesday rolled around, and it was state testing day in my classroom. I went into school, proctored the exam, and all I could think about was the bleeding that was happening. I taught the rest of the day, and my students noticed I was just off, and they don't say anything, but behave. They actually behaved wonderfully. Uh, my husband met me at the OB office to check check on me. I peed on the stick first thing when I went in, and then I went into the you know the exam room and waited. The doctor came in and told me the test came back negative and asked me to pee on another stick. I did. Negative. The doctor then does blood work to confirm that my pregnancy naturally terminated. I go home feeling empty. The doctor had no compassion. In fact, she even said it's hard to get a successful pregnancy anyway. It's just like a one in four chance, even if an egg and sperm connect. Who says that? On my drive home, I was numb. I had to drive alone because my husband met me at the doctor's office and I had no idea what else was to come of this, but I didn't know I was in for the biggest struggle of my life. We battled with an incompetent doctor, infertility, doctors scheduling optimal times for us to conceive. Having a baby was simply not romantic and not made out of love at this point. I hesitated to say my baby making process wasn't born or isn't born out of love because it wasn't. It is a love so deep that my husband and I were desperate to conceive a baby. A desperate or desperation we wouldn't fully understand until another year down the road. That's the story of my first miscarriage. My first taste of pregnancy. If you're a mom who has struggled with this loss. Decades ago. Just last month. The same year. If you're a friend or a parent of a child that has gone through this or of someone that has gone through this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you are here with me, but I'm so grateful for you, for your heart, your precious face face that I wish I could envelope with my hands and and for a moment connect with a sympathetic gaze as tears roll from our eyes. Share the emotion of lost life with which the only connection that baby had to the world was us. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with you my experiences and share with you how I found healing. We find ourselves together because we have at least one thing in common, miscarriage. An unexpected loss of a baby that we were growing in our bodies. You may be happily married with children as I am. Maybe you've lost other babies as I have. But maybe you're the single mom, maybe you're the single mom with or without a partner to support you during this time. While I may not fully understand the dynamics of a single mom's life, I do understand the yearning from the depths of my soul for a baby. I also understand the experience of a baby passing before its first breath. My first taste of how life isn't conceived easily and pregnancies aren't just happen chance, it's my story to share with you. I believe that every single pregnancy, successful or not, is predestined, that God has planned for each of these pregnancies It is a part of our stories. Mama, that's lost one. Your story and mine intertwine. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here sharing in transparency and healing. Those of us that have lost a pregnancy grieve in a unique way. We don't always have a body to place in a casket so that we can arrange a funeral service to grieve with family and friends. We don't always have people around us that understand and that's what I want to bring to your table a safe place to find healing a place where there is understanding compassion and hope while our situations may be different you may have stumbled upon miscarriage and not even realizing it was an issue I mean look at all the women around that have those big beautiful rounded tummies that glow and then that continual smile on their faces she's in love with this baby and that she hasn't met yet guess what? You're allowed to be in love with that baby's face. You didn't get to meet it at all or met way too soon. You know, there's a lady in the Bible that I find I relate to when it comes to having children, and her name is Hannah. This woman is married. She's the second wife of a man named Elkanah. I think that's how you say his name, Elkanah. He and his other wife had children. Even though Hannah was his second wife, Elkanah seemed to favor her most, but there was a problem. She was childless. So here's a woman whose culture defines women's identity and motherhood. And one old Testament scholar wrote for ancient Israelites, the most important contribution a woman could make to a household was to present her husband with children. Indeed, the noblest contribution a woman could make to a household in general. And her husband in particular was to bear a son for him through childbearing. A woman earned her place in life and her, and her share in the household. Conversely, Failure to, lip, to deliver on this obligation was viewed as a curse and as a shameful disgrace. And this comes from marriage and family in ancient Israel. So it's probably safe to say that women from even ancient times had the yearning for children just like women do today. And let's think about that for a minute. Women are the same as they were back in the Old Testament. How would it feel to be the wife of your husband that cannot have children in this culture? You cannot provide for your husband like she does. You would, f- or how would it feel to see time after time again another woman bearing children and birthing them healthily and perfect in front of you? This reminds me of how we compare ourselves to other women's journeys and motherhood to ourselves. A few years ago, I met um, some of my friends, Amy and Kim at our favorite breakfast or our favorite restaurant for breakfast and we were sitting there catching up on life and sipping on our coffee and out of the corner of my eye i see this beautiful blonde walk to the door she could have been on a commercial with her bouncing lust lustrous waves and um she wore an olive dress pants and a cream sweater with a jacket over the top there were file folders in the crook of her arm and a purse slung over her shoulder and her body even looked to be perfection and my friend Kim opened her mouth and said something like, must be nice to be so beautiful. And I stopped in that moment. And I stopped her in that moment. And I spoke up saying, "Um, you don't have any idea what that girl is dealing with. She may be insecure. She may work out too much to keep her body looking like that. Maybe she remains unmarried and wishes for a family. And that pretty much did it. God spoke out of my mouth, reminding my friend and myself that we all have our issues no matter what the outside says. Whether we're putting a gal down in our minds or we're putting ourselves down, that is comparison. Hannah had to deal with comparison every single day of her life. Her rival kept on provoking her just simply to irritate her, and that's found in 1 Samuel 1, seven. It went on year after year. The poor girl just continued to weep and weep, and I'm sure I would have too, after Elkanah's other wife kept on rubbing Hannah's insecurity in her face, ugh, I cannot even imagine how mad, how maddening that would be. Elkanah is a sweet and supportive husband, and we read in 1 Samuel 1 8 that he loves her dearly, with or without a child. He even goes on to say, Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? that's a supportive man, right? Like he clearly loved his wife and he may have held her in an embrace when he said that he may have comforted her in the way that they both found comfort with one another. Yet he let her know that motherhood didn't define her to him. And while that's all okay, if you've been through miscarriage before or infant loss, there is no amount of comfort from a human being that covers that, that covers that ache. So Hannah knew this. She chose to seek God. What Hannah did next is an amazing example of what we need to do in our situations, in our situations of loss, where we just can't even utter the words, that our bones are crying out. She says, or the Bible says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, And she made a vow saying, Lord almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but her, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth and Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. And said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. She says, not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And we learn a few lessons from Hannah. Hannah went to God, even though she wasn't happy or elated. It was easy, it's, It is so easy to praise God when everything is going great. When our heart's desires are being fulfilled, when life is going great, we should praise God, obviously. But what about in the times we have struggles, especially when we are the most insecure and, and it is something bigger than we can handle ourselves? Hannah shows us that we can go to God weeping bitterly. And Google explains that bitter means angry, hurt, or resentful because of one's bad experiences or sense of unjust treatment. I like that definition because it feels easy to be resentful during the time of miscarriage or infant loss. That's the easy part. But what Hannah does shows us that we can take our bitterness to the throne and really pour out exactly how we feel. The second thing Hannah teaches is that she called herself a servant of the Lord. A servant is someone that submits themselves to a master and does whatever is expected, no matter how dirty or painful the work may be. Hannah has been obedient to God, even though she was provoked by Penaniah. She was also calling herself a servant, professing she is at a loss and not in control. Third thing? God hears our prayers of our hearts. I'm not sure about you, but when I have had a weeping fest, most especially after miscarriage, I am so emotional that sometimes I can't verbally speak. I can't even utter a prayer without my emotions getting me choked up. And Hannah shows that praying with our heart counts. Our God hears our heart's desires. Hannah is an amazingly strong woman, maybe not physically, but spiritually strong woman. She is someone that I find a relationship or like that comfort relationship in because her story is here for me to feel as though I am not alone. I'm not the only woman who struggles with a barren womb. She also provides me an example to follow. When we receive the news that we have lost our child or children, that's the time when we have a choice with how we respond to our miscarriages. We can either be bitter or we can be better. You see, we can allow ourselves to wallow in the pain. And I'm not saying we can't grieve because we have to go through the grieving process in order to reach acceptance and move on. But we don't have to seclude ourselves. Think we're the only ones and think no one understands. Ladies, thinking no one understands or that we are alone. Those are thoughts directly from Satan. We are never truly alone. Or we can choose to become better. Hannah chooses the better route. She went straight to God, the creator, the perfecter, the comforter. She chose to get into relationship with God and seek his ways, even though we may have outside forces causing us to feel less than that comparison. She realized she was enough because she had God. That what she brought to the table was enough, that that prayer, the heart utterances was enough because she had God. When she did get herself in line with God's desires specifically for her, Hannah realized she needed to dedicate her child to God. She gave acknowledgement to God that this child, his created being is his, that this child that she, that he may give her is his, her child was needed specifically to further God's kingdom. And Hannah shows us by her story that what she's learned from God, that having a child, isn't a means to satisfy personal desires. Having a child doesn't just happen because that's what our culture says. That's what's next to do or we're supposed to do. You see, she realized God puts desires in our heart. The type of desires that don't go away, the the desires that feel like our inner being is aching for it. It's not like a craving. It's not like the wanting of something just because someone else has it. It's not as a desire to have this picture perfect life. No, it is also not the desire that is hormonal. You know what I'm talking about, that that mother instinct hormone, the one that just says, I need another child because my uterus aches. No, this is a desire that can only be filled by God and only fulfilled in his ways. Before Hannah had Samuel, she made peace with God. She knew where she stood with him and she got herself together before she was allowed to even conceive. Friend, I'm not saying God gives a child when we obey. He gives the desires of our heart. Just like anything else, when he fulfills a desire, it may not look like what we think it should. But let me go back to that desires of the heart thing. He gives, the, gives us the desires of our heart. He gives us the desires of our heart. But he only gives us the desires of our heart when our hearts are surrendered to him and we are in obedience to him and our heart's desires align with what he wants for us. And I promise you, I don't make many promises, but I promise you that when we allow God to move in us, he will fulfill us. Maybe not what our earthly desires are, but what his desires are. When we seek God and submit our hearts fully to him, he will come through. He always does. And guess what? It will always be good. If you appreciated this episode, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash CIMC.